Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Okay. All right. So if uh, you're new or just been coming for a little bit, uh, what's different about the month of August is we do something called Apologetics Month. Apologetics is a technical term from a Greek term, apologia, and we're talking about a defense of Christianity and its truth claims. Now, today we have a, a very, very special guest because he's a very dear and close friend to me, Jay Kim. Um, he's recently, Stan already mentioned it, one of his books, Analog Church. Uh, you can pick it up on the side. It's got several awards. I can talk about some of his accomplishments and accolades. But as usual, some, similar to last week, I'd like to talk about um, his heart and his, his passion. Jay and I have been involved in ministry together for quite some time with something called the Regeneration Project. We co-host a podcast together um, that we haven't done for 15 months. Uh, because we're all, everyone in leadership in the Regeneration Project is full-time pastors, and so the, uh, COVID made it a little busy. So podcasts went on hold, but uh, from first service, we received multiple complaints about it not being up for 15 months, so the plan is to get that back going as soon as we can. Um, but most importantly, Jay, um, he has a great mind for understanding culture and theology and how Scripture can guide us in navigating the difficult waters that we find ourselves in. And so he's a pastor and has a love for the church and is a brilliant mind. So without further ado, my good friend, Jake Kim. Thank you guys, thanks. Um, I paid Isaac to say all of that. So well done, man, that was so good. Isaac's pretty cheap, I bought him lunch. And there we go. I scripted. That was awesome. No, I, uh, I, I, I reciprocate um, all of that. Isaac is uh, your pastor is a dear friend to me on multiple levels, and uh, I genuinely mean this. I have the utmost respect for him. This is a true story. When I have questions about church history or uh, the early church fathers, I text him. I don't, I don't look at like the many thousands of dollars I spent on textbooks from seminary. I just text Isaac. That's what I do. Like, hey, man, is this true? Is this right? Tell me this about Athanasius or whatever. He's like one of the most brilliant minds that I know, maybe my smartest friend. And I have a lot of smart friends, so that's saying a lot. Um, and, but beyond that, beyond my love and respect for Isaac as your pastor and the entire team here and... Um, I have deep admiration for all of you, and I genuinely mean that. I just live up the road in San Jose, and I watch you all from afar, and not as a pastor, but just as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. I am so inspired by you and so grateful for a community like this um, that is uh, shining the light of Jesus into dark places in South County and beyond. And the uniqueness of your community, if you've been at South Valley for a while, you may not even realize it, but what you have here is a gift, and it is tremendously unique. Your incredible love of God and the scriptures, your longing to be thoughtful in your faith, to engage the life of the heart and the mind, and to express the ways of Jesus in real tangible ways, that combination of things is sadly rare in churches today, and you all embody that. And so thank you. Thank you for setting that example for me and for so many others. And uh, just know that I'm, I'm cheering you on. And along those lines, I'm honored. I'm honored to just spend a few moments with all of you here um, today. What I want to do 
is just threefold today. For the next few moments, I just want to bring some awareness about um, stuff culturally that is happening all around us. And then I want to give us a hopeful path forward. And then finally, to simply call us to walk down that path. Uh, A couple of years ago, some sociologists did a uh, research study, a nationwide research study, and they found by their best educated um, uh, estimates, not guesstimate, but estimates based on the research, they found that about 45% of Christians, about 45% of Christians at some point in their life will encounter a significant transition of faith that they will find themselves at a fork in the, in the road and they will have to make a decision about how to proceed forward in their life of faith. About 45%. What that means is that um, either you or very likely somebody you know either has or they will or they currently are encountering some sort of fork in the road of faith. And sadly, in recent years especially, the choice being made by many of us who find ourselves at that intersection, encountering this sort of major transition of faith, the choice being made in increasing numbers is the choice to deconstruct faith. Now, maybe you're familiar with that term, the deconstruction of faith, or maybe you're unfamiliar. But if you are unfamiliar, just know this. It's okay that you're not aware, but know that it is all around us. It is happening left and right amongst all ages, but in particular with younger emerging generations. That is especially in the digital age, driven by um, the mechanisms of social media, there are those who are taking the Christian faith that maybe they inherited from their families or um, were passionate about in their earlier years. There is a massive movement to deconstruct that faith, to pull it apart and find themselves with just rubble, the wreckage of a faith long gone. This is tragic. This is tragic in many ways because doubts and questions are not a bad thing. Doubts and questions are a natural part of growth. Doubts and questions are the way in which we often learn. In fact, it's one of the things I love about the fact that you all have Apologetics Month. This is a church. South Valley is a church that not only is okay with the questions, this is a church that welcomes the questions. And it's not just during Apologetics Month. It's in the way you preach the word. It's in the way you converse around the ideas that you are exploring from Scripture. On Thursday nights sometimes, I'll tune in to your YouTube channel because Isaac and Sam host something called Theology Thursdays where they are welcoming, literally welcoming your questions and your doubts and your confusion. And so if you are doubting, if you have questions, you have landed in the right place. This is a community where your doubts and questions are not just okay, they are welcomed here. And so again, deconstruction of faith is not necessarily like bad in terms of the concept of living with doubts and questions. The tragedy of how deconstruction is unfolding in culture today is that, again, fueled by the digital age, particularly by social media, faith is being deconstructed 
in tragically irresponsible ways. A handful of years ago, about three years ago, our daughter was three. She's six now. She was three, and we were expecting our second child, a boy. And so, you know, you do all the things you got to do to prepare for a newborn baby. And my wife tells me, hey, one of the things I need you to do is to take the crib um, in our daughter's room and to disassemble the crib and to move it into the room that was going to become our son's room. And it was one of these cribs that when we had ordered it three years previously, it came uh, in these giant boxes. It was a large crib, and it came with very specific tools that were designed to assemble and disassemble that specific crib. It was like one of these cribs that you couldn't disassemble or assemble just using your normal tools that were in my garage. I had to actually have the specific tools that were designed for that specific crib. Now, three years previously, when I had ordered the crib and built the crib in my daughter's room, because it's too large to like move in and out through the doorway, when I had built the crib, it had taken me so long because I'm unskilled as a carpenter or whatever, <laughs> right? Like even Ikea things, I'm like, I don't understand, right? So... Um, it had taken me so long that at the end of it, I was like so relieved to be done that in my foolishness, I took the tools and just tossed them. Not thinking to myself like, you know, someday we might have to actually move this crib to another room. And so fast forward three years later, our son is on the way. My wife is like, hey, can you unassemble, disassemble that crib and move all the pieces and reassemble in this other room. I'm frantically looking for the tools that I need. I don't have them. So I take my regular tools in my garage and I'm just trying to jimmy rig my way through disassembling this crib. And 45 minutes into it, I'm so frustrated because I can't pull this crib apart that I find myself in a momentary lapse getting my hammer and just raising it high like Thor about to rain thunder on this crib. Until I stop myself, right? Because I realize in that moment, oh, the goal is not to just get this crib out of this room. The goal is actually to keep the pieces intact so that I can rebuild the crib in the other room. Deconstruction with hammers is quick and it is easy and it's efficient and it actually kind of feels good, right? It's like, just destroy this thing. It's like, I wanted to do that more than anything else in that moment. But what it does is it leaves us with little to nothing with which to reconstruct something of substance. But deconstruction with precise tools is way more methodical it's actually quite arduous. It's usually really slow, but it leaves us with the necessary materials with which we can reconstruct or rebuild something of substance. So it is with cribs, and so it is with the Christian faith. But tragically today, much of deconstruction is fueled by online caricatures of Christianity. And I use the air quotes um, intentionally because online caricatures of Christianity, Christianity are most often not actually orthodox Christianity. They're just caricatures. They're these quick hit, witty little bombs that Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or Facebook just throw in the middle. They lob these grenades in the middle of the social media sphere and it explodes and everyone gets outraged and they say, yeah, see, that's what Christianity is. Why would I have ever, why would I ever have anything to do with that? 
And so much deconstruction of faith is happening this way, wielding hammers, smashing our faith to bits, fueled and provoked by online outrage and these caricatures that actually aren't the way of Jesus. And the tragedy of it is that at the end of the day, we are left with nothing with which to rebuild a rich, robust, orthodox, beautiful faith in Jesus. This is the way social media works. The writer Arthur Brooks in his book, Love Your Enemies, he says that on any contentious subject, social media platforms are contempt machines. You may think that scrolling through your Instagram or your Twitter or Facebook feed or TikTok or whatever it is you use, you may believe that it's just a benign exercise in casual entertainment, but it is not. It is forming you. It is slowly dripping contempt and eventually outrage in you. This is the way the mechanisms keep us clicking, scrolling, and swiping. And again, the tragedy is that this often today leads so many, especially emerging generations, if not you, maybe your kids or your grandkids, so many, it leads them toward deconstructing faith with hammers, smashing it to bits. But I believe that there is a hopeful way forward. Not an easy way, not a fast or quick way, but a hopeful way a way that is paved by what the Bible calls wisdom. The internet is actually fueled not by wisdom, but what I would say, um, what I would call wit. The internet is a witty place. And what is wit? It's lots of things, but it's quick and it's fast and it's attention grabbing. Um, you, you all know the term like clickbait, right? Clickbait headlines. That's an example of wit. It grabs your attention. It doesn't form your imagination or form you as a person in a beautiful, rich, meaningful, responsible way. It just grabs your attention. Your eyes go toward it. This is wit. Um, and the internet is chock full of this. Uh, Daniel Grothy, in his book, Chasing Wisdom, he says that we are a society being buzzed, zapped, and alerted to death. Words litter the landscape of our lives like chaff on a threshing floor. I mean, we're just bombarded by stuff trying to grab our attention. And the way to grab our attention is to be witty. But wisdom is typically not attention grabbing. Wisdom is something else altogether. But what it certainly is, is what the Bible asks us to pursue. The Bible is very clear that not wit, but wisdom is the thing we must chase. Let me just give you a handful of examples. This is all throughout the scriptures. Proverbs 4, it's so clear. Get wisdom, get insight, get wisdom. Proverbs 8, wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire, all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Wisdom is the thing. Nothing else compares. That's what we need to pursue. Or Proverbs 3, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. And so what is wisdom? 
There are lots of definitions, but I like uh, the definition from the late great Dallas Willard. I think he summarizes it well here. Willard says that wisdom is the settled disposition of the soul to act in accordance with right knowledge. Wisdom is the settled disposition of the soul. Okay, let's talk about that for a moment. The settled disposition. What does that mean? It means slow and steady and committed on a particular path for the long haul. Does anything about social media feel settled to you? No. Is social media a steady, calm, mature place? No. This is why wisdom is difficult at best and impossible at worst to find online. Because wisdom is a settled disposition of the soul. To do what? To act. This is key. Wisdom is not simply knowing more. It is actually doing or living a particular way. Living with a particular trajectory. Moving in a particular direction. And not just moving in any direction. Not just living in any way. But to act in accordance with right knowledge. So what is wisdom again? It is a settled, steady, committed, patient disposition to move and to be and to live, to act in a particular direction, and the direction is set by right knowledge, by knowing the right thing, coming to an agreement, heart, mind, body, soul, in a holistic, whole-bodied way, coming to an agreement that this is what God says, and so therefore, this is the direction in which I will move. This is wisdom. This sounds nothing like the internet. Let me show you an example. James chapter 3 says this about wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct. This is action. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And then, how does the writer, James, describe what wisdom, godly wisdom in particular, how does he describe what it looks like? The wisdom from above is what? It is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Let me ask the question again. Does this sound like the internet to you? Is the internet a place of purity and peace and gentleness? Is it a reasonable place? Are people merciful there? Do they exemplify the good fruits of the Spirit there? Are people on the internet impartial and sincere? Does that sound like your Facebook feed? Wisdom stands in stark contrast to the spaces that we find ourselves spending so much time in in the digital age. And yet the Bible is abundantly clear. Get wisdom. It's more precious and valuable than jewels. Blessed is the one who has wisdom. So we have to ask a pragmatic question. Is, are our daily lives spent trekking down that path toward wisdom? Or are we just scrolling and clicking and swiping ourselves to death? This is why 
deconstruction stories run rampant in the digital age because we find ourselves being formed by wit on social media rather than wisdom found in the scriptures from God himself. Listen, one of the reasons for this is because wit is way easier. Like, it is significantly easier for me to just read a couple of tweets on my phone and call it a day than it is to pursue wisdom by digging deep into the scriptures and immersing myself in the life of a faith community, the church. And the Bible admits this. Ecclesiastes 7, all this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been far off, that which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? Wisdom is difficult to find. There is no promise that it'll come quickly nor easily, but it is of utmost importance that we trek down the path of wisdom. Otherwise, the wit of the digital age will lead us down other paths. I don't know if you all know uh, the name Michael Gunger. He um, was a worship leader and a Christian songwriter for several years. He used to write these like beautiful, profound songs, like worship songs that people sang in churches um, uh, that spoke of the truth and the goodness and the beauty of God and his story. And um, a few years ago, several years ago now, he actually had a very public sort of deconstruction of faith journey that he publicized online on social media, Twitter and Instagram and podcasts and all of that. Um, just two weeks ago, about two weeks ago, he tweeted this. Jesus was Christ. Buddha was Christ. Muhammad was Christ. In fact, Christ is a word for the universe seeing itself. I don't know what that sentence means, but it sounds really beautiful. And guess what, you guys? This is the most shocking part. Did you know that you are Christ? Did you know? You are Christ, and we are the body of Christ. Listen, I don't show you this to take a, like a low-blow jab at Michael Gunger. I'm actually still, I'm, I'm, a, I'm just blown away by um, his skill as an artist and a musician, and I am heartbroken by his deconstruction of faith. And I pray that he comes to know Christ again someday. But this is wrong. And you see the wit here. First of all, he's good with words, and it's quite beautiful, his language. He's good at, at words. But more than that, do you see how he bookends the tweet? There is just enough of the remnants of the wreckage of your old faith to lure you in. I agree wholeheartedly with lines one and two, one, the, the first line and the last line. I would edit that first line, not to say Jesus was Christ, but Jesus is Christ for sure. And that last line, we are the body of Christ, yes. But everything in the middle, it's like the, the two pieces of bread in the sandwich, spot on. But all the meat inside and the lettuce and tomatoes, whatever you like in your sandwiches, it's rotten. Like, that's not true. Listen, Isaac is an incredible leader and teacher and pastor. But I am telling you, I know this for a fact, he is not Christ. And neither are you. And yet, here's what I want you to pay attention to. If you look at the bottom of this image, 1,500 people retweeted this, and more than 700 people liked it. 
Maybe you are not deconstructing, or maybe you have not given much thought to the whole journey or reality of deconstruction in the digital age, but I am telling you, this is the cultural air we breathe. It is happening all around us, and I say this not to alarm you or to scare you. I say it simply as a point of awareness. It is undeniable. It is happening left and right. I have conversations probably multiple times a month with men and women who are deconstructing their faith because of stuff like this. This is real. So does Isaac. We talk about it all the time. Chances are you know someone journeying um, along this path. And maybe you are the one journeying along this path. And if you are, I am so grateful you are here because it means you're at least giving it a chance. Bring your questions. Bring your doubts. I mean, I have full confidence saying this about South Valley. This is the place for you. If you are deconstructing, if you are doubting, if you have questions, bring them here. Bring them here. They are more than welcome here. And people will journey along with you down that path. But don't take a hammer and smash the thing to bits because you read a tweet that says that Christians are evil. Give it time. Wisdom is the slow and steady path, not the quick and easy one. Listen, where do we find this sort of wisdom? Job 28 asks the question for, for us, where shall wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says it is not in me and the sea says it is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold and silver and cannot be weighed as its price. So that's kind of depressing. Job is like, I don't know, <laughs> right? He's like, I don't know where to find it. But if you keep reading Job 28, uh, he gives us the answer. God understands the way to it. And he, God, knows its place, the place of wisdom. And he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Listen, we could do a whole series on what we mean, what the Bible means by the fear of the Lord. And I know Isaac has taught on this richly and robustly and beautifully here before. So let me just try to quickly encapsulate, and this won't do it justice, but the fear of the Lord does not mean like you live your life shaking in your boots because God is vindictive and always angry and he will arbitrarily just punish randomly because he woke up on the wrong side of the bed and there wasn't milk for his Cheerios one morning. That's not what the fear of the Lord means. The fear of the Lord means, essentially, to live with a particular posture in light of the reality that God is God and I am not. The fear of the Lord is an embracing of the reality that God has a plan for his own glory and for our good, and that that plan is not any, it's not the sort of plan that any human being could create in and of ourselves, but it is a plan for his glory and for our highest good. And the fear of the Lord is a willingness to live humbly with a sort of holy awe and trembling before a God who by his grace chooses us when we could not choose that path for ourselves. It is an awareness 
that there is a path paved before us that Christ had to pave by his body and blood. There's a humility and a willingness to follow where God leads, trusting, again, that he has a plan for his glory and for our good, and that plan doesn't always look like our plan. That's fear of the Lord. And fear of the Lord is wisdom. That's wisdom. To live in light of that reality at all times. To head down that trajectory with your life. And so, a few thoughts to close. Practical thoughts. If that is the path to wisdom, in light of all the deconstruction happening in the digital age, maybe we are deconstructing, or maybe someone we know or care about is deconstructing, how do we ourselves, or alongside another, journey and trek and traverse down the path of wisdom? How do we do this? There's much to say here, but I just want to point you to two very simple but profoundly critically important elements of that path, Scripture and the church. First, just a brief thought about Scripture. Psalm 119 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word of God, the scriptures, are a light down the path toward wisdom. Scriptures, the Bible, is critically important. This is one of the reasons why I hold you as a church in such high regard, because South Valley values the word of God the way it must be valued as an anchor point for our lives, that the God of the scriptures is most often, most clearly revealed to us through his word. In order for us to trek down that path, we have to reckon with verses like this, passages like this. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Because the words are beautiful and poetic, but the reality of our lives don't actually reflect that truth most of the time. Like when you actually think about your engagement with the Bible, for most of us, not all of us, but for most of us, the reality is though we agree in concept with that idea, the reality of our lives is like the Bible isn't really all that sweet. I just kind of read it from time to time because I need a morsel of encouragement hope or a little pick me up with my cup of coffee in the morning, or I just kind of do it out of guilt because I'm supposed to as a good Christian or whatever. And listen, if that is you, it's okay. Because the Bible is an acquired taste. Here's what I mean. If I took a Snickers candy bar and gave it to my son, who has never had a Snickers candy bar before in his life, he would take one bite out of that Snickers candy bar, and how do you think he would react? He would immediately devour the entire bar and ask for more. Because candy is designed to just grab you right away. You don't acquire the taste. It's just chock full of sugar. Your biology will long for it. But if my kid just had a diet of Snickers candy bars, he would rot from the inside out. This is how the stuff of culture, the content we consume so readily on our phones and digital devices, this is how it works. It grabs us right away. It's easy to just get right into it, but it will rot us from the inside out. The scriptures are different. 
You know what the Bible is like? It's like cilantro, you guys. <laughs> when I was in high school, I went to a Mexican restaurant with a good friend. I ordered a carne asada burrito. I was so hungry, I took the biggest bite you could imagine out of that burrito, and my reaction was, somebody put soap in my burrito. <laughs> I looked at my friend. I was like, I'm not kidding, dude. Someone put soap in my burrito. He's like looking at it. He's like, no. oh, dude, I think, I think you're tasting the cilantro. And I'm like, what is cilantro? And he points out this green leafy thing. And I smell it. And I taste it. I'm like, yeah, that's it. That's the soap. That's not a leaf. That's not food. That's just soap in a green leafy form. And I, I like had to pull all the cilantro. I could not believe that was food. I was like, this is not food. You can't eat this stuff. Okay, amen, wow, okay, well, you're not gonna like the rest of this metaphor. Um, because fast forward now, 20-something years later, and if you gave me an ice cream sundae and there was a little bit of cilantro here, I'd just think and sprinkle my sundae with cilantro. I love cilantro, you guys. I love it. Now, here's the, here's the point. Obviously, the Bible is not literally cilantro, but think about your own version of cilantro, something you did not like at one point, could not stand, but acquired the taste, and now you want it all the time. Think about that. That's the scriptures. It will not come easy right away. This is one of the reasons why you do Apologetics Month here at SVCC, because the Bible is confusing, and it is strange, and there are stories in there that at first reading sound really, really harsh. But keep reading. Have a steady, settled disposition. Continue diving deep into the word with one another, with Isaac and your pastors. Continue to communally engage this beautiful and profound and strange story. And eventually you will acquire the taste and you will actually find that it is sweeter than honey. And the church. Acts chapter 2 tells the story of Peter preaching the gospel in front of the masses, and then this happens. With many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. This is a word for us today. And so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching into fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the word and to fellowship, sharing life with one another. This is why what you are doing here now is so critically important to journey down the path toward wisdom. I have a friend, and there's a lot to say about the church, but I'll just say one thing because it's like so prevalent today. Um, you know, it, again, online caricatures of the church essentially claim that the Christian church is not only unimportant, but that it's harmful to a good society. Again, if you're not familiar with this, this is rampant everywhere, that the Christian church is like actually destructive to a good flourishing society, which is so sad because it's actually the opposite of what is true. 
And the reason for this is because these random caricatured stories that pop up of really, truly, genuinely broken, sinful men and women who harm others in the name of Jesus. I'm not denying that that happens. That certainly does happen. But those are sinful, broken humans like you and me doing harm to other sinful, broken humans. That's not definitive of the church. That is a very shallow, what C.S. Lewis calls a chronologically snobbery type of view, that what is happening right now in this moment is the only thing. The church is the body and bride of Christ for 2,000 years. It has persevered through wars and famines and pandemics before and has still stood strong because Christ is leading the way. That's the church. Now, here's the thing. People have been hurt by other Christians. I have a friend who was a pastor, and he told me this, um, uh, this thing that he does, which I found so profoundly beautiful. He often will have people in his church come up to him, and they'll say to him, hey, um, you know, I'm here at your church, but I don't know how much longer I'll be here. I'm actually not a fan of the church. The church really hurt me, or I've been really damaged by the church. He'll hear that. I hear that from people. And my friend, what he says to them each and every time is, what was his name? Or what was her name? Which is so beautiful because he is not saying, no, you weren't hurt by anybody. That's not what he's saying. But he is defiantly saying, no, 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 no. The church didn't hurt you. A person hurt you. The church is way more than any one of us. Any one of us can harm any one of us. But the church is much more than that. And despite all of our flaws, all of our brokenness, we are called, followers of Jesus are not simply saved individually into heaven. You are saved into the body of Christ. You belong to the church if you belong to Jesus. You do not decide between the two. So how do we traverse down the path of wisdom? We go by way of scripture and the church. Finally, I'll just share one last um, pastoral encouragement to you. If you are deconstructing, go slow. Put down the hammer. If you are coming alongside someone who is deconstructing, go slow. Help them put down the hammer and traverse down the long path toward wisdom. Let me show you an image. This is an origami piece. You know, origami, the art of paper folding. Um, the limits of my origami skills come down to basically like a paper airplane. I'm not very good at it. But this is an origami piece called Rujin 3.5 by a Japanese origami artist named Satoshi Kamiya. He's one of the greatest origami artists in the world. Um, I did not know that origami was this whole sort of subculture until I did some research on this. Um, but he's like one of the finest origami artists in the world, as you can tell. Now, here's what's really fascinating about this piece, Rujin 3.5. This is, this dragon is a single piece of paper. In traditional origami, you cannot cut the paper. You can't cut the paper to shape it a particular way. You simply take the paper as is and fold it into whatever shape you can fold it into. This is a single, uncut, unadulterated piece of paper. Origami artists will often post online what they call their crease patterns, which are like the lines that tell you how to fold the paper to get the piece. Now, look at this piece. 
And let me show you the crease pattern for this piece. You can go on YouTube and look up tutorial videos on how to create RuGen 3.5, and the tutorial videos are 12 hours long. The world's best origami artists take up to a month working all day, eight hours a day, they can take up to a month to create this piece. It is hard to fathom the amount of patience and precision required, but when applied with the necessary care, commitment, and skill, the shapes and stories one can tell with a single sheet of paper, whole and intact, is beyond imagination. And so it is with your faith. Go slow. As much as you want to rip it to shreds and discard it in the garbage can, Go slow. Go with someone. Lean into the scriptures and lean into the church for the long haul. Trek down the path to wisdom. Um, Sam and the team are going to come back up and we're going to sing and respond together or not. They're not. Stan's going to come back up. Stan, are you coming back up? Okay. There you go. Thanks. Uh, I'm just going to sing a little bit, um, just a few songs. Sorry, I'm sorry ahead of time. Um, no, what a, what a blessing it is to be able to uh, hear from Jay. Man, that was great. And like I said earlier, he's offering free books out there. You, you, we really want as a church for you to be able to read that. And uh, so if you guys, as soon as you're done here, there's only one box. So it's a while supplies last sort of thing, but if you want one for your family, grab it, read it, and this is about what's going on all around you every day that you're kind of missing out on, and it will affect your faith and your family and your workplace and yourself. So we would love for you to get a chance to do that, to grab that book. Also, if you are new to us, this is a Connect card, and they are located in the seat backs in front of you. We would love to give you a gift. It is a gift card over to Westside Grill, and I know what you're thinking. Those of you who have been here for a while, you're like, could I fill that out? Nope. Sorry, it's just if you're new to us, but fill this out, turn it in at the Connect booth that is right inside of the lobby, and we'll get you that gift. Um, Finally, I mentioned this earlier, but there are offering boxes all around the room, and you can still give online via text and through the mail as well. And we have a prayer team, so if you are interested in getting prayer, if you uh, have something going on in your life and you just need to connect with somebody, come up to the front. We have people who will be praying over you. Uh, let's stand and let's uh, pray together as we leave for this week. God, thank you so much. Thank you for an opportunity to learn about you, to worship you together. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to go out into our communities and proclaim your name with everything that we have, knowing that your grace is more than enough for what we are up against this week and what we are moving into in all of our situations. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Have a great day.